0: are here this morning and weren't here last night. The theme of the whole weekend is, is kind of gospel community. Um, how, how does the gospel itself create community, and what kind of community does it create? And so last night we were thinking a little bit about friendship and how the Bible conceives of friendship as being a richer, more vital category um, of community than we tend to think of it today. Uh, we were then thinking about church being a blended family. Uh, In Mark 10, how Jesus promises us fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and and sons and daughters in him. So even if we may have left some forms of intimacy behind in order to be followers of Jesus, Jesus is saying if all of us are doing our jobs properly as church, no one should feel like they've been given a bad deal. Uh, Part of what we're doing as church is Giving people an experience of community that that outdoes anything they would have had had they remained outside of Christ, does that make sense which is that 's a tall order right but it 's an amazing vision of, of what we can be for one another uh, this morning. I want us to think a little bit about how how singleness fits into all of this um, by implication singleness and marriage because the more we think about one the more we find ourselves thinking implications about the other um that that book i wrote seven myths about singleness i wrote because there are lots of common misconceptions about singleness and the thing i've realized is we we don't have misconceptions about singleness without also having implications uh, wrong implications of marriage we don't get singleness wrong without also getting marriage wrong so although i'm going to be talking a bit about singleness in this first session by implication, I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying things about marriage too. Does that make sense? Good. Your nodding heads encourage me. That's, that's good to know. So I want to think about singleness and some of the, again, some of the default ways we tend to think about singleness um, that don't line up with how the Bible does. When I, when I first started really looking at what the Scripture says about singleness, I was surprised at how positive it is. Because I think in our culture we tend to have a negative view of singleness. So here's one I want us to, to think about. Um, the first thing for us to see is that all of us need to understand what the Bible says about singleness. It's easy when there's teaching on singleness for people to think, "Oh, that's good. The singles need to hear the teaching on singleness." Actually, the whole church needs to hear what the Bible says about singleness. Um, passages in the Bible that discuss singleness are given for the whole church to understand. Just as when I get to a bit of the Bible that addresses husbands and wives, I don't tune out. I'm thinking, no, this is still part of God's word that I need to understand. I need to know what God is saying to my married friends. So too, for those of us who are married, we still need to understand what the Bible says about singleness. Um, all of us have a stake in how one another is doing. As a single man, I have a stake in the marriages in my church being healthy. If those marriages aren't healthy, that's going to affect me. My married friends have a stake in their single friends flourishing in the church. And the reason for that is because the church is a body. We're not just an assembly of individual Christians who who come and hear the same sermon and participate in the same kind of worship experience Sunday by Sunday. We are knitted together. We are bound together and connected through our faith in Jesus. Just as our faith in Jesus unites us to him, so too it unites us to one another. We, We have a stake in one another now. You can't actually completely separate us. So Paul says in, in Romans 12, uh, verse 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So that the church I am a member of is not simply the, the registered institution, the 501c3. It is the people who are members of that church. I am members of them. I'm a member of them. I belong to them. I belong to the other people in my church. And they belong to me. We have a sort of shared stake in one another. Um, Let me give you a really gross example um, of of what I'm talking about. Um, I was uh, walking around at home the other day and barefoot was walking out of my bedroom, um, was pulling the door closed behind me, mistimed the removal of my foot from the doorway with the closing of the door, and discovered that little gap between the bottom of the door and the floor is perfectly, perfectly calibrated, so that the bottom of the door just cheers off a, s- a significant amount of your toenail, if you, if you don't get this right. If you need to throw up, you're, you're very welcome to. So, and it was early morning. I just wasn't quite awake enough yet, and this happened, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling a certain amount of pain, as you would, as you would well imagine. So, what happened? Um, my toe hurt and the rest of my body was affected. Other parts of the body started to get involved, so my hand immediately reached down to grab my toe. My other leg decided this this would be a useful moment to start hopping. Uh, My voice joined in, I I reached a a register I didn't know I could reach. And my eyes may have watered a little bit, I'm not gonna lie. So in other words, it wasn't just my toe that hurt, I hurt. And so it is with with us as as Christians, as as members of the same church, when, when one part hurts, we all suffer. When one of us isn't doing well, that affects all of us. So for those of us who are non-married, we, we have a stake in our single friends doing well. If, if church is a hard place for our single friends, that means it's, going to be, it's not going to be a healthy church for, for all of us. So we all have a stake in this. Um, the next thing to realize is... <laughs> there's no gentle way of putting this, for, for those of us who are married, over half of us are going to be single again. Whether through bereavement or through divorce. A ring on your finger now does not guarantee you won't be single again. Uh, my my uh, dear grandfather died a couple of years ago. He was... 102 when he died. So he, he was born before the First World War ended and during the, first, the, the, the previous global pandemic that we had. Um, he didn't die of COVID, he did die during COVID. And I remember going to the 50th wedding anniversary party of, of him and my grandmother. They were married for, for a little over 50 years. That's, that's a crazy long time. But he was, by the time he died, he had been single for the same length of time he had been married. Maybe even slightly longer. So even someone who is married for over 50 years can still be spending another 50 years of his life as a single person. I think my math adds up on that. (laughs) Obviously he was single before he was married as well as after. You get I mean... So this, this is relevant to every single one of us. So if, if uh, there are married friends of, of yours who are not here this morning, you might want to point them to, the, to these talks so that they can understand these things. So it's relevant to all of us. Secondly, singleness is not too hard. We tend to think it is. Uh, we tend to think of, of singleness as being Intrinsically a bad thing you have to try and make the best the best out of uh, culturally we we tend to think in the Western world that a life without sex is is at best laughable and at worst really quite bad for you um, part of where we 're at culturally is to think that actually sexual freedom sexual expression is how you fulfill who you are and so if you're not fulfilling your sexuality whatever that might look like whatever that is for you culture would think you're not being a full human being you're you're leading a shriveled kind of life you are diminishing your experience of who you are you can't be complete you can't be whole you can't be authentic you can't really be you unless you are giving expression to your sexual desires. And therefore, the idea that people would be sexually inactive for, for significant parts of their life is seen as, that's, it's bad for you, that's going to mess you up. And therefore, we, we absorb more of that way of thinking than we tend to realize. And it's easy for us to think singleness is, is a kind of, it's something that you are, you are doomed to have to experience for the long term. So let's think about that, because I want to point to two counter examples. One is Jesus, one is, one is Paul. Um, let's think about Jesus himself. Jesus did not marry. Jesus was not romantically involved. Jesus didn't have sex. And therefore, we can't say that any one of those things is essential for being a full human being without implying Jesus wasn't a full human being. Jesus was the most complete person who ever lived. He was the most fully human person who ever lived. Now, I was talking to, to someone about this a, a while ago and they said, well, we're never told Jesus didn't have sex. so You can't say Jesus didn't have sex. And I'm thinking, well, that, that's an interesting approach. So anything the Bible doesn't say Jesus didn't do, we can morally justify. It. Okay, the gospel never says that Jesus didn't punch a horse in the face, so I get to punch horses in the face. Now is that is that how this works? No, we know what Jesus taught. We know that Jesus taught that sex outside of marriage is a sin. We know that Jesus taught marriages between a man and a woman. Those are two. Crazily countercultural things for Jesus to have said, but he said them. And we know that in Jesus was no sin. So we do know that Jesus lived by what he taught, that Jesus was single, to, to use the sort of other terminology, Jesus was, was chaste, Jesus was celibate for his entire earthly ministry. And if we imply that that is a lesser way to live, we come dangerously close to denying the full humanity of Jesus, and the Apostle John calls that Antichrist. So the very life of Jesus itself helps us to understand that that actually singleness is not dehumanizing. Um, There's a a British journalist called... uh, Mariella Frostrup. She's been around forever. Uh, she's a journalist. She's a broadcaster. Uh, she's single. She, she said a while ago, she was saying singleness is, is fantastic. She said you have solvency, you have great sex and a guilt-free life. So that category of singleness, our culture can affirm because you have sexual freedom. But, but when we Christians are talking about singleness, we mean something more than that. Because we know that being unmarried means that we're, we are not going to be sexually active. Uh, we're not to sexualize any relationship outside of marriage. So the very life of Jesus shows us that, that can't be bad because Jesus did it. And his life was, was complete. But the second counterexample is, is what the Apostle Paul says. And if you want to turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 7, this is the longest kind of extended part of the Bible where there's, there's teaching on, on singleness and, and marriage. It's a, a great passage to, to get to know. There's still bits of this passage I haven't fully got my head around. Uh, it's one of those kinds of texts but there's lots of great things here that can help us to to understand singleness. Um, In the first part of chapter 7, Paul is encouraging married couples to have sex. That is not normally the image of of what the Bible teaches that, that many of our friends might have, but Paul is saying, actually, you should be giving yourselves to one another in marriage. So an amazing verse is is chapter seven, verse four. Paul says, the wife does not have, the the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now here's, what's amazing about this verse in that the Roman Greek culture to which Paul was writing, that was assumed. The wife is the property of the husband. So when Paul says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, everyone would be going, amen, Paul, I'm I'm liking this bit of Christianity. But Paul immediately then says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That was extraordinary. No one ever said that before. So verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, this is a big deal. Having sex in marriage is a big deal. But I want you to notice, the husband, the wife, do not have authority over their own body. The husband does. And therefore, sex is about self-giving. It's not about taking. Paul doesn't say, you have authority over your body. Wife's body, he says your wife has authority over your body, so therefore the onus is on you to give your body to your wife. It's about giving, not taking. Um, I only mention that because when we say that sex out of marriage is sinful, that doesn't mean that every sexual act that happens in marriage isn't sinful. Uh, Sex within marriage that is coerced is sinful. It's about self-giving. It's not about taking. Well, Paul goes on and he says in verse 6, "'Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, "'I wish that all were as I myself am.'" Paul was single. "'But each has his own gift from God, "'one of one kind and one of another.'" And then he starts talking to the unmarried and, and to the widows, and then verse 10, to the married. Paul is talking about both marriage and singleness being gifts. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul is talking about singleness being a gift. Now here's, here's one of the ways this is, this is often misunderstood. Uh, Sometimes I I hear in the Christian world, people talking about the gift of singleness as if the gift of singleness isn't the singleness, it's some unusual capacity you have to cope with being single, that's the gift of singleness. So I'd hear people saying, well, I'm single, but I don't have the gift of singleness. In other words, I'm single, but I I I don't like it, I'm not good at it, I hate it, I don't want it, so I don't have the gift of it, so I shouldn't be single. And it's as if the gift of singleness is is some kind of superpower to cope with being single. So here's a few few reasons why I just don't think that can be what the passage means. The first thing is it denies that singleness is itself good. If you need some special superpower just to get through it, singleness isn't a good thing. And yet Paul is about to show us some of the, the unique ways in which singleness can be a spiritual advantage. Secondly, it, it can encourage us to be, to be bitter and, and to resent God's providence in our lives. Because if we are long-term single and spend all of that time thinking, I don't have the gift of singleness, we're thinking, God, God's got this wrong. God's forcing me into a situation he hasn't equipped me to cope with. I have seen Christians getting into unbiblical relationships because they've said, well, I don't have the gift of singleness, so this is God's fault because the only alternative I have to, to being single is to be in a biblically prohibited relationship either with a non-Christian or with someone of the same sex. So it's God's fault that I'm sinning. Uh, next, what is to stop someone who is married and married and thinking, Realising, okay, this is this is kinda of hard work. What is to stop that person going, Well I, I am married, I, but I don't think I have the gift of marriage. So I'll just ditch I'll just ditch my spouse and kids. This isn't this isn't what I signed up for. It misunderstands what the Bible says about gifts. Paul talks about gifts later on in First Corinthians, as I'm sure you know. And the gifts are not a way of having a stress-free life. The gifts are a way God has given you of building up and blessing other people. So singleness itself is a gift. The gift is the state, not your perceived capacity to cope with it or not. And with both marriage and singleness, the the gift each of those is to us is not simply to be a gift to us, and therefore I've gotta feel amazing about it all the time otherwise God has made a mistake. No, it's a way of saying we can taste the goodness of God in either marriage or singleness and that our marriage and singleness can itself then become a gift to others. So the goal of marriage is not your own fulfillment. The goal of marriage is that your marriage itself will be of service to God and his kingdom. And ditto with singleness. For those of us who are single, uh, the the goal of our singleness isn't great, I've got got a life free of particular commitments, I get to do everything I wanna do. No, that the goal of our own singleness is that it might be a gift to other people, that we can use it to serve the Lord, to serve others. Which leads to what Paul says in the rest of this chapter. So let's drop down a bit to verse 28. Uh, by the way, I think my, my Bible's the same as the one in the pews, so page 956 if, you, if you're wanting to look at physical Bible. Um, And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So I want us to think about verse 28. Paul is going to show us two things about singleness that show us the goodness of singleness. One is what we are spared by being single, and the other is what we are potentially freed up for by being single. So verse 28 shows us something of what we are spared. Paul says in the second part of verse 28, those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Now we need to stare at that verse because our cultural assumption is singleness is the the state that gives you trouble and marriage is the escape from singleness and its troubles. And so our default settings are singleness is terrible, marriage is way, way, way better. Therefore, we need to open up marriage and make it as accessible as as we possibly can to everybody else. That is not the perspective of the Bible. Um, Just stick stick an appropriate part of your anatomy in in 1 Corinthians 7 and come with me to to Matthew 19. Uh, Because Jesus teaches about marriage, and again, what Jesus teaches about marriage is not how we tend to think about marriage. In Matthew 19, verse 3, the Pharisees are around, this is page 824. They ask Jesus, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife at any cause? That was a live issue. Lots of people were fighting about that very question at the time of Jesus: Is it lawful to divorce one's wife at any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So there we see Jesus teaching that marriage is between a man and a woman because God has created us male and female. Verse four, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is referring back to Genesis one. And notice Jesus doesn't, doesn't, sit, he doesn't just say in the beginning the creator made them male and female. He says from the beginning. In other words, at the creation and ever since, God has been making us male and female. So we can't look at Genesis 1 and go, well, that was just then and we don't have those clean categories of male and female anymore. No, Jesus is saying from the beginning, God has been making us male and female and because of that, we have marriage. Because we are sexually different, we have marriage. Marriage is predicated on us being made male and female. Doesn't mean that because we're male and female, we must be married, Jesus wasn't. But it does mean we can only get married because we've been made male and female. Well, he continues to, to talk a little bit about what it means for what God has joined together for man not to separate. And here's the thing I want us to notice. Verse 10, as Jesus has unpacked that commitment of marriage, that one fleshness, let no one separate thing with marriage, the response of the disciples in verse 10 is to say, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. Now, here's the thing. I, I get to preach at weddings. I'm a, I'm a pastor, I get to officiate, I love doing that. It's such a joy. And I get to preach at weddings, I get to teach on marriage. I don't think anyone has ever come up to me after I've preached on marriage and has said to me, do you know, if that's what marriage is, it's probably better not to marry. You ever had that, Garrett? So here's the uncomfortable question for me, am I teaching marriage the way Jesus is? Because when Jesus teaches marriage, the first response of the disciples is to go, whoa, that that sounds a bit serious, that sounds a bit like commitment. Maybe it's better not to marry. Interestingly, when when they say that, Jesus doesn't respond by saying, yeah, you're right. Maybe, Maybe live together for a bit first, try before you buy, that kind of thing. No, the moment they question getting married, Jesus in verse 12 starts talking about eunuchs, people who were celibate, often for some unpleasant biological reasons. So the only godly alternative to to male-female marriage is to be single and sexually inactive. But the point I want us to note is the same thing that Paul is referencing in in 1 Corinthians 7, which is we tend to think singleness is, is too burdensome and therefore we need to make it easier to tip people into marriage. But at the time of the New Testament, people were thinking, actually, marriage is the hard one. So back to, to 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. There are going to be some worldly troubles. You are spared by being single. Paul is not being down on marriage here. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says some of the most beautiful and lofty things about marriage that anyone has ever said. But he also knows that marriage is between two sinners in a fallen and broken world. So as well as the joys of marriage, and there will be many joys of marriage, there will also be some worldly troubles. He's realistic. When two people get married, it's not simply, happily ever after. There will be happiness, we, we hope and we trust and we pray. But there will be challenges too. Um, I've had enough good friends who are married and honest with me to know what some of those worldly troubles are. I know marriages that have, have, have been really difficult I know parents who've lost children or have seen their children walking away from the Lord. I've seen marriages that have have had to cope with and try to survive infidelity or infertility or one of the the spouses becoming long-term sick. any number of things that can make it difficult. I was talking to a lady at a previous church, her husband had very severe Parkinson's, probably from his 40s. He had to spend most of his time in bed. And I remember her saying to me once, and at a particularly bad moment, she said, listen, this is not what I signed up for. And I remember thinking, Actually, it is. Now, you, you need our help and we need to be with you and we need to come alongside and help you, but this is what you signed up for, for better, for worse, in sickness and health. So there will be worldly troubles. Now, there's not only worldly troubles in marriage. There's, there's joys and gifts and blessings too. So for those of us who are married, you know, when it's your anniversary, you don't have to put in your card, you know, <laughs> Thank goodness we survived another year of worldly troubles. That may not be a wise thing to put. But we need to know this because Paul is showing us there are both ups and downs of marriage and ups and downs of singleness. And we tend to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And so we've experienced the difficulties of, of singleness and we think, we look over the fence and think, if I was married, I wouldn't have these problems. And part of that is true. You won't have the problems of singleness once you're married, but you will have the problems of marriage. I've had a couple of married friends say to me at times that they're they're a bit jealous of my singleness. Because there are times when marriage has been hard for them. I've been grateful they felt able to say that, because there are also times I'm jealous of their, of their marriages. Uh, it's, it's easy to compare what's going on on the outside of someone else's life with what's going on on the inside of our own, and to think, stuff looks way better for them. But in in the fallen world that we live in, none of us gets an easy deal. So there are certain things we are spared by being single. Now, again, marriage and singleness are gifts. I I feel like I've just depressed all of us. Uh, Both of these things are gifts. Both of them are ways of tasting the goodness of God, but with the goodness come the unique challenges of each. So there's what we are spared by, by being single, and then there's what we are freed up for by being single, which Paul goes on to, to speak about from verse 32. So verse 32, it, I love this verse, I want you to be free from anxieties. I like that that verse is in the Bible. Thank you, Paul. I, I want me to be free from anxieties too. I'm on the same page here. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul is not saying single people are far more spiritual and and married people are far more worldly. Paul is simply saying that when you are married, you have obligations to some very significant things in this world, like your kids, for example. That's not unspiritual. That's actually part of how you worship the Lord is by... Seeking to be a good husband and a a good father, but it does mean you are tied in a way that you wouldn't be if you were single. There are things in this world, i.e., your family, that you are meant to feel obligated to. Obligated to. Yeah. I should learn how to speak English one day. Um, And and therefore there are going to be good constraints you have. There are things you should be anxious about, things you should be concerned with. You should be concerned, have, you know, it's been a few hours since I've seen one of my kids. Where are they? they? That's a godly thing to think. Whereas Paul is saying a single person is less divided. Verse 34, the married person's interests are divided because he's thinking, oh, I'd, I'd love to get involved in that ministry at church, but I'm not sure that would fit in with with what's going on with my kids at the moment, and I think my my wife in this time is actually needing me to be a bit more present, there's, there's dividedness there. they are being pulled in lots of different directions. Whereas Paul says in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, again, thank you Paul, appreciate that, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, if you're single, actually, it's a bit more straightforward in how you can serve the Lord. You've got fewer directions you're being pulled in, fewer factors you need to think through. Uh, Your life is a a bit more, what's the word? Nimble. Okay, I've I've seen, some of my married friends with, with young kids, I've seen what needs to happen for them to leave the house. And it's like them, them trying to just get out of the front door, that is like an all-day event. Child number one is, okay, they're ready, the coat's on, shoes are on, they're good to go. Child number two has needed to go to the bathroom, they're over there. Child number three is entirely unaccounted for. <laughs> Child number two comes out of the bathroom, child number one decides they need the bathroom, child number three appears in a Batman costume and not remotely ready for, for outdoors, and this can take months. Is this true? Well, it's a single person, I'm like, I, I literally, I walk to the front door through it and close it behind me and I'm... You can turn on a dime more easily as a single person. And, and here's one of the reasons I love that. When a friend of mine is having a crisis, when someone at church maybe is, is having a crisis, it's so much easier for me. Just I, I can drop everything, get in the car and go be with them. Not, not always, I, I, we still have other responsibilities in life, but it, it's gonna be easier for me. I can be more nimble. It's easier for me to be a first responder, spiritually. Uh, there, are, there are four pastors at my church. The other three are single and, and have kids. Um, we all have differing capacities of different kinds of stuff that we do, and that's, that's part of how God has made us. But I know it's, it's probably if something happens around 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. That, that's a bit urgent, there's been a break in at the church or some, someone, there's some emergency at the office, it's going to be easier for me at that time of day to, to quickly jump in the car and drive down there than it is for them. That's good. I, I like that. that. That's part of, for me, the gift of being single. What it doesn't mean is that that lack of being pulled in different directions, that shouldn't mean I get to be selfish. And again, culture would have us think, well, okay, it might, be, it might kind of suck that I'm not romantically involved, but at least I can just do what I want to do when I want to do it. But that, that's not how God has designed us to live whatever freedoms and flexibilities I might have as a single man, they're not for my sake. They're for the sake of others. And the way God has has wired this universe to work for all of us is that the more we try and live for ourselves, the less happy we are. So am I feeling fulfilled enough by my own singleness is the wrong question. If that's the question we keep putting before us, the answer will never be yes. Whereas if I'm thinking... What, what, can I, what can I be doing for others? What can I be doing for the Lord, and how does my singleness actually open up some unique opportunities to be of service? We're gonna discover as a side effect we become much more content in our singleness. Not because we're chasing the contentment, but because we're chasing Jesus, and everything else will kind of fit into place as we, as we do that. Now we're not without commitments, friendship should involve commitment. There should be people that we do have obligations to if we're single, but not just completely carefree. It's good to have other lives that we wrap our own lives around. Many of us will have, have roommates and other people who, who live with us and we, we don't just want to be ships passing in the night, we want to honor them and think, well, okay, I could go away then, but I just need to check things are gonna be okay at home and all of those kinds of things. There'll be, there'll be other families that we have strong links with and again, want to be of service to. But Paul is trying to show us the goodness of singleness here um, because Paul says in verse 35, he wants to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. There are things I, I get to do as a single person I don't think I would be able to do if I was married. Or at least I wouldn't be able to do in the same way. Uh, it, it's easy for me to come here for, for a day or two. I don't have to think about, well, how many days have I been away from the family and the kid's gonna be okay and who's, you know, all of those kinds of things. I can just think, actually, yeah, I've, I've got time in my, on my calendar, I can, I can do that. That's a privilege, I get to hang out with Garrett, check he's still a Christian still figuring that out, uh, get to meet you guys, get to, I get to open the Bible with you this morning which I'm, as I'm doing this I'm realizing actually this is doing me good, I haven't thought about this stuff for a while. I need this. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that if I was, if I was married at least not in, in the same way. So singleness is, is a good thing. Um, let me just check if I've got anything else I need to say on this, if not we will pause there and uh, have a bit of time for Q&A yeah I think we'll pause there does that sound good? let me pray for us Um, do you want to go straight into Q&A or have a leg stretch? okay let me just quickly pray for us Father help us to see all of reality in the light of what the Bible says uh, not in the light of how we might feel about it or of, of what culture around us might happen to say, help us to see singleness in the light of what the Bible says as well. Help us to receive every word that you give us with thanksgiving and to see the goodness of what you're saying. Help us to think healthfully and biblically about singleness. For those who, who are single, Father, help us to, be, to receive it as a good gift from you, a gift that we can use for you and for others. For those of us who are married, help us to receive that as a good gift and and to use it for you and for others. Help us to honor each other. Help the singles to encourage and support those who are married. Help those who are married to encourage and support those who are single. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Whether single or married, wherever we are, some really important stuff there. Um, I love, you know, you said that Christians don't just belong to a church, we belong to one another as the church. It just changes the entire kind of way you think about what yeah. it means to be a, a church family. Um, how do you help, like that's a great tweet, how do, how do, you, how do we get that into the, the culture of a church? Um, what are the sorts of things that if, if you're trying to, to create a culture in a church where, yes, we think like that, mm-hmm. and we, we, you know, I mean obviously we want to meditate on Jesus. Everybody's, you know, he's central, and as we see him, we become like him, and that's going to be the mindset of giving ourselves for one another. What are other practical things we can do to help keep that kind of mindset before us and growing? Um, and then tied to that, our church here at Del Rey, and churches in this area, are uniquely transient. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's hard as a pastor is to keep mindsets going because there's there feel like there's seasons where you're like I think we're getting it here we go and then everybody moves off and then there's all these new people <laughs> and half the people still get it and then they're frustrated with the people who don't get it and then the new yeah. people are like why is it like that and then it's just it's kind of a difficult yeah. challenge to cultivate that
0: yeah they're no, good good questions um, I think on the on the first thing one of the ways we can try and better understand this is The Bible speaks of of our faith in both individual terms to each one and so on, our own individual walk with the Lord and also our collective life together. Um, Being Westerners right now, we're going to be far more focused on the individual things than we are on the communal things because we're in a very individualistic culture and that's the primary lens through which we see life is I am the primary unit of reality Um, so we need to we need to be more attentive to the the scriptures that actually talk about our life together as the people of god i mean just just a practical thing most of the commands written in the the new testament are written to us plural not to each of us individually we're to do these things together there's all the one and others of the new testament once we kind of don't gloss over them, but actually lean into them and think, okay, I've got to encourage one another. I I am to seek to be an encouragement to others at church. I'm to seek to look for and to to receive encouragement from others at church. We begin to appreciate the ways in which our lives are bound up together. Um, So it's being more attentive to things in the Bible that we tend to skip over because we're still thinking often more than we should be in terms of my own little private relationship with with God. And you're a kind of accessory to that. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. I need need to be belonging to these other people and they belong to me. We have obligations to each other. Um, And we're all gonna flourish better that way. That's how God has designed us to grow. So in Hebrews 10, it talks about don't, Stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. I love that. The opposite of not gathering together isn't gathering together, it's encouraging one another. Um, God, God says you need the regular input and encouragement of other believers in your life, and they need yours. Your presence makes a difference to the rest of your church family. So, we, we, are f- we have far more of a stake in one another than we, we tend to naturally think. Mm-hmm. So, that, that's one way, is just to, to see more of this in the Bible, because it, it's, it's all over the place. Um, as in, it's everywhere in the Bible. Not that the Bible is, you know what I mean. Um, and I hope the more we, we get to know one another within the people of God, we see that. We, we realize how much, oh, actually, I you know, I really need these people. <laughs> Turns out they need me too. Uh, we, we, that becomes more of a, a kind of a felt reality. It's good. With, with the transient thing, that, that is a challenge because you're kind of having to re-up this every two or three years. I used to, to serve a church in, in Oxford. We had lots of people who were connected to the, uni- the university, both college students, adults who were teaching, post-grads, all that kind of stuff. And it meant there was, you know, Pretty much every year we would lose a third of the congregation and gain a new third of the congregation. Basically so. And for those who are there in the long term, you don't just want to be going around the same three-year cycle of teaching because they're like, okay, I've heard this four times now. But you do need to re-up certain things about this is is who we are, this is what it means to be church together. Mm -hmm. And to, to try to do that in a way that isn't just repeating everything those who've already heard it have heard but to think okay that there are lots of different ways the Bible shows us this reality it's a multifaceted reality so let's let's find fresh ways in the in the New Testament especially of seeing how connected we are to one another
1: it's good just making a note if you know you have questions, go ahead and put your hands up. We're going to get some get it mics to you. I have one more. We, we live in a day where there's a lot of talk about uh, self-care, which shows up in kind of every, every arena of, of life. And how, how do we think about the posture of sacrifice, giving, 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 um, over and against the, the message of, of self-care? Like, how should we, how should we think about, about that? What's, what's true about the call to think about taking care of yourself? And then what's yeah. the lie behind that that could really fuel selfishness? How do we, how do we navigate that gospel?
0: Yeah, yeah that's a really, I don't, I don't have a definitive answer to that, but I, I know we, we do need to give some thought to our own. You know, God has made us as, as physical human beings with, with limitations. That's a good thing. I'm not meant to be able to do everything. I'm not meant to be able to know everyone. Um, So there's a limit to how long I can be awake. There's a limit to how much energy I've got. There's a limit to how much emotional capacity I have. Those limits, they're good. I mustn't resent them. I mustn't try and transcend them. I need to, to receive them and realize, you know, one of the Puritans wrote a prayer that every time we lie down to sleep, it would picture to us the fact that one day we're going to lie down in death. I think that's a bit more, but actually that's, that's a really good perspective to have. We are, we're quite frail. We are so unlike our God. He is so powerful. He can do all things we can't. It's why day, a day off is healthy, because it reminds us that the universe can survive without me having my hand in, in the workplace uh, for a day a week. Um, So to know our limitations, to embrace them is healthy. Some of us have an overinflated view of our own importance and how much we're needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And others, others of us tend to lean too much the other way and think, well, I've got to so care for myself that I'm never actually being sacrificial. Um, Paul talks about being but about feeling poured out and kind of wrung dry Mm -hmm. in service of others. There's a sense in which that's a good way to feel. We should be giving of ourselves. There should be a cruciformity to our our Christian life. We're saying no to self. We're dying to self for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. And we need to sleep Mm -hmm. and have a day off and things like that. But we've got to hold both of those things together. So it helps to know ourselves and to know wh- which of those we're most likely to, to neglect, which side of the horse we're likely to fall off. Yeah. Um, but if we, if we honour both of those things, we're more likely to be serving God effectively for longer. Because yeah. if, we, if we don't honour our limitations, we will burn out, crash and burn earlier than we needed to. Yeah. Um, and if we're just thinking of what do I need right now? We're actually, we're not gonna be as happy as if we're giving ourselves away in sacrificial love to others.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And this is where I think the hi- highlighting the need for community of people who really know you to help you think through that um, is, is important. I know I have people in my life who help me evaluate how I'm using time, energy, effort. I'm, I'm gonna be more prone toward the burnout. You know, I'd rather burn out than rust out um, and there's, yeah, I, I just need some help harnessing that so that I can make it the, the whole way home. Um, I do think both, <laughs> both singleness and marriage are going to, there's going to be unique call or temptations toward entitlement, uh, yeah. which is going to lead toward indulgence, which is going to lead toward sin, like you may be like, well, I've, you know, I'm kind of suffering in my marriage, and I kind of deserve this over here, or, well, I've been, I've been married for so long, and, or I've been, I've been waiting to get married for so long, it's not happening. I'm, I kind of deserve this over here. I think be, beware, we live in an age of an entitlement where every, I mean, every marketing message is, you deserve better than what you have, and that, that coupled with the whole self-care and the whole thing, it's just, it's a very self-centered, life-sucking sort of approach to things that is the opposite of Christ, and at the same time, we need to seward things well. So this is where having people around you who, who love you but are not impressed with you and love you enough to say honest things and that you welcome that and say, help me evaluate how I'm using time, how I'm using money, how I'm using energy, what my relationships look like. Help me see what I'm not seeing. That I just want you to know that's normal Christianity. That's healthy Christianity. We need that sort of stuff. You can't do it by yourself because you can't see yourself well. In the same way that, like, there have been times where I've come in, and have something in the back of my head. People are like, you know, you got this thing, or your collar's up. I can't see part of me. I need other people to do that. So, please, we need one another. All right, let's take some questions. Give us again your name and then uh, your question, please.
2: Hello? Oh. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor, um, for the good word. I'm sitting here going, wow, I love being single. Um, but but at the same time, oh, I said my name. It's Alice. Good,
1: Alice. <laughs> good, good, good Alice.
2: morning. Um, but also at the same time, I think as a woman, um, there's a fear that if I appear, you know, too independent or too content in singleness, um, that that kind of closes me off to the possibility of being pursued, and I hmm. think I've had other friends struggle with similar thoughts. So could you speak to the unique um, cultural pressures on single women, if you've counseled anyone through that? And then also, more generally, could you speak to the difference in the unique struggles uh, between single men versus single
0: women? Thank you. Yeah, man, that's, that's a great question. Um, to, to some extent, no because I'm a single guy, and I've not experienced singleness as a, as a single woman. Should,
1: Melissa, I'm gonna ask you to maybe make a comment too in a second, if you don't mind, or you and Kim can figure out which one of you are gonna say something. That'll be good. <laughs> that's not me assuming you're not gonna have an answer. I oh, know. I'm, I'm glad this, this us, is the, the we're backup. We're gonna pull
0: some wisdom on this one. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. We're, yeah, Anyway. You, that's a gr- I've not, the, the first question you asked about how can you, can you lean into the singleness without sort of, so embracing it that people think, not to pursue you I've never thought of that before so I'd, I'd be interested to hear what other sisters have to say on that and I would hope I'd hope a Christian guy would actually think that that is exactly the kind of woman I should be pursuing someone who's being that all in for Jesus that she's actually taking her singleness and and pressing it into service for the Lord should make you more pursued than less pursued um, because if, if a guy has got his head screwed on the right way, that, that should be something he's, he's looking for someone who actually is, is independent and all in and, and focusing on the Lord, rather than someone who's effectively saying, hey, I, I need you to come and sort me out or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That make sense?
1: Yeah, and I think there is there's something attractive about um, whether it be a sister or a brother um, who is, is focused on the Lord. And like, yes, I'd I'd love to be married if that's what the Lord has, but that's not what is going on right now. And I want to I want to use time, energy, effort on on Christ. So I think a contentedness in I'm I'm not desperate as it were in a way that's you know, always kinda like clawing for attention and whatever. There's a there's a there's an attractiveness to listen, this is hard, I'd like to be I'd like to be married, but but right now, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to use whatever time, energy, effort that I have to, uh, to make him known. I think that's, that's, that is an attractive quality. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you should be, be afraid of that. I think you, you follow the Lord with a full heart, and I think the Lord will yeah, he'll open and close doors in, in appropriate ways. That God, would be my initial thought. Guys,
0: Christian men should find godliness sexy. Tweet that. So. I don't think I made that up. I'm sure I heard that from someone else, but I like, I like that way of thinking. Yeah.
1: Melissa, do you want to drop some wisdom on any of this?
3: No, I just think that was so good and would amen what was said. And Alice, love your question. I think that was super thoughtful. There was a situation a number of years ago, I remember, with a, a guy and a girl who were both single and there was a difficult conversation that needed to happen with a pastor and it was the girl who initiated the conversation, and then later the guy said, I'm so glad the girl took the hit, that I didn't have to do that. And obviously that's not the kind of guy that you want to be in a relationship with, right? Who says, oh, I'm so glad that she did that for me and that I didn't have to. So I do think that if you are walking with the Lord and pursuing Him and firm and encouraging your convictions, that that will naturally draw a certain type of man who's gonna say i'm thankful for that and i want to run with her in that so it might be a lonelier place but it's it's worth it and then let us as the church help you and if you are chasing after the lord in those ways we can you know some of us married people have other webs of relationships and other people that we know and if marriage is something that you desire let us let us help you in that
0: I, I think in, in some of the ways singleness as a guy is different to being single as a girl. I'm going to make some generalizations here. So I think these are generally true comments, but not, they're not going to be always true of everyone. Um, women tend to be better relationally at men. Women, I think, tend to tend to get to emotionally open friendships more quickly than men do. And often with more individuals than men tend to as well. From that point of view, it might be easier for a woman to find relational intimacy as a single woman than it might be for the man to find the same kind of emotional intimacy as a single man. The flip side is that as, as a woman, you've, you've got the, the sort of the biological clicking talk cliche thing of you know thinking, well, there's, there's a window of opportunity here for me to be a parent, which is not the same thing as for a man. So, it can sometimes seem easier for men because you know if it, it might be easier for a man to marry and become a dad later in life than it might be for a woman to do the same thing so it's it, one of the ways we, we love each other as brothers and sisters is, is doing what we can to understand the particularities of what each of us is going through and to think okay well that's, that's a different different set of opportunities and challenges to me, and so to make sure we 're we're understanding each other enough to know how to serve each other and encourage each other and, and bless each other. Good.
1: Does that help a little bit? Yep. Thank you. All right. Other questions? I see some, some more. And uh, where's Nick?
0: No, oh,
2: Hi. <laughs> I'm Casey.
0: Can you wave at me? I don't know. Where, oh, there you are. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think one of the words you used to describe your singleness or your life of singleness was wonderful. Um, And I think as I get older, I have more joy and contentment in my singleness, just loving God more, relying on him more, and having vulnerability in my relationships. Um, But I also have a lot more sadness, I think, in my singleness. Like, it almost feels like that part is getting harder. Um, Some of that may be, like, the biological clock, like I'm 35, and if I think about being single in 10 years and not having had the opportunity to have biological children, like, that really feels more like grief to me than just like, oh, Hmm. too bad. Um, So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like what you mean by wonderful. Like is it I'm happy or is it that tug and pull still of not having romantic um, love and family?
0: Yeah, thank you, that's such a thoughtful question. Um, There are griefs Um, and particularly when you feel the sort of the window of, of, opportunity for parenthood passing you by there could be a, there's a grief to that um, that that's a real thing um but at the same time we 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 trust in we do trust in the providence of god um, it, we're not ultimately missing out if we're walking with the lord because whatever worldly things we may be foregoing by being faithful to him, as, as we were thinking last night, Jesus is, is giving us more than that even in this life. and Then in, in the age to come, we have all perfection. Um, there, there have been moments where God has turned my, my grief into joy. I remember being at a, a wedding and um, actually, a friend of mine who lives, lives up the road from, from here. Um, And I was was at the wedding and I I knew her and I knew her family well. And her dad, who has got no dancing skills at all, without her knowing, had learned to dance so that he could do a daddy-daughter dance at the reception and and just have a a final dance with his daughter. And that was, I was super kind of touched by that. But then part part of my heart kind of, yearned a bit, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm not going to get to do that for someone. And there was, there was a moment of, of grief in that. And then a couple of weeks later, as it happened, I was, I was starting a sermon series on, on Titus. and was preaching just the first little paragraph of Titus, and got to verse 4 where Paul says to Titus, my true child in a common faith... And I'd set myself just those four verses to preach on, so I I had what Paul says about himself to preach on and what Paul says about Titus to preach on. I thought, I need to to get about five or ten minutes worth of sermon out of Titus, my true child. So I like what does the Greek mean? And all all that kind of stuff. And, And Paul is not saying, hey, kiddo. Paul is literally saying, my legitimate begotten. I thought that's interesting, and where does does Paul say that anywhere else? And started to realise Paul did a lot of begetting. There's, there's Timothy; he actually said he begot the whole church in Corinth. <laughs> and I realised, as I was preparing that, I was thinking, I've had more experience of fatherhood than I had thought I had. And in fact, after I preached that that message on on Titus. I had some young, go- young guys actually wrote to me and said, you have been a, a spiritual father figure to us. Um, I've, this is bizarre to me, but, but hugely touching. I regularly now on Father's Day have people send me messages saying, you've, you've been such a, a spiritual encouragement to me. And it's made me realize, okay, I, I thought I was foregoing <laughs> being a parent. And I'm not saying that what I'm experiencing as, a, as an older Christian brother is everything a dad gets to experience. But I've realized, actually, I'm getting more opportunity to be a father than I had imagined. I'm not getting nothing here. I, I can be a spiritual parent to, to some of the younger guys in the church. And that has been such a sweet, unexpected blessing. Then it's been one of the ways where what I thought I was missing out on, Jesus has given me his own version of, um, and I've been able to enjoy. Um, does that make sense?
1: <coughs> hey, <laughs> amen in the back, I heard that. Uh, and I, I would amen all of that. I would also say it's, it's, I think it's good and right to grieve things that are good things that, don't make sense to us that, that the Lord hasn't given, right? I mean, the, whether it be, you really wish you were married and you're, you're not and that's grievous to you, it's, it's okay, to, not just okay, it's right and good and the Lord invites you to bring that to him, to bring your sorrows to him. Cast your anxieties upon me knowing that, you, that he cares for you. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens. Like it's, he wants, he welcomes us. Come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So br- Bring it to him. He wants to hear from you in that. And I also say don't give up hope. You know, we talk about windows of opportunity and statistically and all that kind of stuff. But the the Lord can do all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, you just never know. And to be honest with you, I got married quite a bit later than I would have preferred. And, you know, there's a verse in Joel about the the Lord can restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Hmm. Meaning Israel had, and, and part of my own reason for not... Stories. Anyway, I, I wasted a lot of years with a lot of stuff. And but the Lord in his kindness seems to have restored in in yeah, kind of a multifolded sort of way that I never could have imagined. Um and he may do that through marriage for somebody who really wants it. He may do it through through other means. Um but the Lord is only ever doing good for his children. Mm. And I think we, we just can't forget that. That's why bringing our grief to Him, and like, Lord, I don't like it like this, help me. We'll keep our eyes on Him, and we'll be reassured that He is good, and He does good, and He loves you. And he doesn't just love His children generally, but he loves, he loves Casey, right? And He loves each of us who long for something that the Lord says, trust me. Trust me, if you knew what I knew, you would, you would, you would thank me for not yet. Um, and those are, that's, that's, part of, that's part of walking by faith and not by sight. So keep, gr- grieve in appropriate ways, bring it to the Lord, and don't give up. Um, Lord, I'm ready for whatever you got. Um, and then amen to everything else that, that, that Sam
0: said. There. So. I'd, I'd also just add that something that really helped me was when Paul talks about contentment in, in Philippians 4, I think it is, I had been trying to find contentment in my singleness by trying to pretend there were no bad things about being single. Mm-hmm. What I realized I needed to do was to find my contentment in Jesus as a single person. And that, that, is, that has helped significantly. Mm-hmm. So when I say my, it has been wonderful being single, I think what I'm really saying is it's been wonderful walking with Jesus as a single person. That's good.
1: I see a hand over, I see a hand there and I see a hand here. And a hand there. So let's start. Let's start there. Or no, there. We're starting there, and then we'll go to Beth. and then we'll go over
0: here. You should never work for an auction house. Yes, just, I was to... <laughs> sold. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is uh, Hannah. Where, where are you? I'm over here. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah.
1: Sorry, all that. I got you dizzy. Um, yeah.
2: You mentioned uh, Jesus teaching that the only alternative to marriage is, you know, inactive sexual celibacy. Huh? So I'm just wondering, like, how do we encourage slash, like, where's a good place to go scripturally to encourage um, specifically our uh, single same-sex attracted friends who might still be seeing, you know, same-sex relationships as, like, good things, you know, desiring the wrong thing, yet still, like, overall desiring to follow Jesus?
0: Yeah, so... um I just want to check I've understood the question, because the the acoustics are set up for you to hear what goes through that microphone more than for me to hear what goes through that microphone. So are you saying for those who are wanting to follow Jesus but might still be thinking maybe a same-sex relationship would be a good thing? How do we we help them?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm thinking more in like a discipling context. So somebody who is a Christian who is struggling.
0: Someone who isn't a Christian. Is. Is a Christian. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, there's lots of things. So we... We need to, to firstly show people what, what Jesus says. Secondly, we need to, to show people how what Jesus says is, is good for us. <laughs> Sometimes we, we do the first thing and not the second thing, but Jesus is good. And the Bible doesn't just give us random, don't do that, do do this. It, there's a reason for it. Um, so we need to be able to trace the good purposes Jesus has in saying the things that he does particularly in areas that it, it is so countercultural for us right now and where all of our intuitions are lined up in a different direction to, to what Jesus is saying, I need, I need to think, what is the good thing that Jesus is inviting me into by having me say no to certain forms of, of intimacy that are not right? Um, so again, a, bi- a big thing that helped me in my own Christian life was when I, when I really began to realize that Jesus never says no to something. without without saying a bigger yes to something else. In other words, when there's a prohibition, what good thing is that prohibition protecting for me? Um, So it's not, then the message isn't simply the negative one of no to that, but actually yes to something else. And, And to see holiness in Christ as being of greater value than sexual gratification or whatever it, whatever it might be. We're never really going to say no to sin unless we love Jesus more than the sin, unless we're seeing in Jesus something that is more beautiful than what the sin seems to be offering us. Um, and that includes seeing the, the kinds of healthy Intimacy that the Bible is is opening up for me as being better than the illicit forms of intimacy I might otherwise be, be drawn to. Um, let me let me just give you one example of this. There are, um, and they've been my, these are two women who've been open about their story and they I have their permission to share it. There there are two women at my church in Nashville who had been a couple for over 15 years. Um, it happens that one of them is the, is the mother-in-law of our pastor. Um, he's married to her daughter from an earlier marriage that she had, if that makes sense. Um, so these, these two women have been together as a, as a couple for, for well over 15 years. They had a, a daughter through a, a sperm donation. One of them had also adopted a little girl. Um, and they both, these two women both came to the Lord five or six years ago, separately, gradually, came to the Lord. And we're living in Alabama at the time and phoned up my pastor's wife and him and, and said, hey, we, we kind of want to come back to church. We want to come back to the Lord. The only church we really know about is your church in Nashville. So we're thinking about moving to Nashville to come to the church. We have no idea how this works. We're, here, the, here we are, the four of us, with all this kind of baggage. What should this look like? And my Pastor T.J. said, come and live with us and we'll figure it out together. And before he'd been a pastor, he'd been in construction. So he spent that summer then building out some, a bunch of extra rooms um, at their house and had these four folks, two women, two younger girls come and move into the house. And he said, look, look, we'll just, you know, work it all out together. So immediately they they had a bigger family in which to kind of process things. And, you know, obviously these two women stopped being a romantic couple as they began to understand what what following Jesus would mean. And I I was getting to know them and met up with them maybe six months after they had moved. And I remember saying to these two women, I was having lunch with the two of them, and I said, do you miss being a couple? You, You were together for 15 years as a couple. Now you are what what our culture would say you're just friends our culture would you know the culture would say they had downgraded from romantic love to just being friends so I I said you miss do you miss being a couple and they said we are so much closer as sisters in Christ than we ever were as lovers I remember thinking, initially thinking, oh, wow, never would have thought of that. And then then I kind of actually rebuked myself and thought, that shouldn't surprise me. God is love. He knows way more about this stuff than we do. We're not going to come up with better, better, closer intimacy outside of his ways than we are if we follow his ways. And I hope one of the things we, we picked up last night is just how known we can be through healthy biblical friendship. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the greatest blessings I've, I've received is I've got a, a, a wide range of friends, but I've, I've got a, a, a smaller number of friends who I, I would say know me through and through. And that, that has been a, a, a sweet blessing.
1: Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Let's go here and then here, and then we'll take a break. We're going to do another session, and then there'll be more QA after that. Um, So. My name is Bethany. There are times in my life where I feel like I practically
0: need a man to help me. So, for example, I walk out of work and I'm on a flat tire. I don't know. Yeah. yeah i love that question that's such a good question um, yeah um and that is there's a male female aspect to that, but there's also just a none of us can do everything aspect to that um, i've i've got a i i've a, a roommate who's also a guy and both of us are completely hopeless at practical things i can i can Hammer a nail on the wall and hang a picture up. That is, that is as much as I can do practically. Um, there is a, a single girl in our church that we're both good friends with who is super practical. She works for a landscaping company. She knows all of that stuff. So we, we phone her up when we need practical things done in the house. I literally have a list on my phone of some practical things that need to be done in the other that I would not have a clue about. Um, so some of this is, is male, female. Some of it is just, we, you know, I can, I can prepare you a Bible study on Leviticus, but I, I can't mend your garden fence. Um, and this is where, as, as, a, as a church body, we, we get to really serve each other because we've got different skills and gifts. And we need to find ways, whether informally within kind of friendship circles of, of letting everyone know what each of us is able to do and saying, hey, I, I love sorting out I I know people who enjoy the whole tax process, and so if you need help with your taxes, they'll give you help with your taxes. I don't understand people like that, (laughs) but I'm glad they exist. So we we all need each other's gifts and skills, and we need to make it easier and not harder to to ask one another for help with things. And some of that is a function of just getting to know each other as friends and and picking up, um, you know, hey, I'm. Should it ever come up, I love doing this, this, and this, and if you ever need that, I'm, I'm your guy for that. And, hey, I, I can see you have some aptitude at this. Would you be open to helping me with that at some point? All of us need each other. Um, so we need to create a culture where that's assumed. Now, part of what you're asking is not merely how do I access the skill that, that I lack, but are there appropriate ways of doing that when I'm a single girl and that might involve a, a guy coming over and just it being the two of us? Um, and and again, I think, I think it will slightly depend on, on the people involved, um, and how well you know each other. And, you know, this, this lady I'm, I'm speaking of at church, I know her well enough. She knows me well enough that if she comes around and is, is helping fix the decking in the yard, which is the most recent thing she did, um, that it doesn't feel awkward to either of us. People know we're friends, people know that we're not just friends with each other, but we have a wider group of friends that we're, we're part of. Um, and therefore, it's not weird if people see that she's doing some work in my yard because they know that's part of what she does. And most people who know me know I can't do that anyway. So it's not kind of raising any eyebrows. Um, but it, it will, de- you know, we want to be wise. But we, we do want to be able to be brothers and sisters together. And to be able to relate to each other in, in those ways and, and be blessed by each other and, and serve each other. Anything too to bad?
1: I think it's great. And I'm here we have a thing called Google Group where people are constantly putting out, Hey, you need some help with this or help with that and that's where you just realizing part of being a family is figuring out who who could do some stuff? So, like in our house, if we lose something, we ask Graham. Like Graham is—I don't know—he's some kind of robot or something. Or like, I can't find my keys. He's like third drawer over there. Like, you go and look, and you're like, "What is that thing?" So we need more of that in our house. But, um, and I think the body is like that. So, if there's needs, you know, throw them out on the. For here, there's a Google group. There's also the um, member care team is putting together a list of like. Here's things people are gifted in and would love to be able to use their services for. And just as kind Mm. of a way to make known, you know, like, hey, some people love being handy. They're like, I can't do, it feels like I can't do anything else, but I can fix stuff. Who are those people? So we're trying to develop some of those ways to make those those things known. But I just think it's, yeah.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah.
1: So um, I know there's a few more questions. In light of time, we're going to pause now, take our break, and then we'll come back to our next session, and then we'll have a final round of Q&A. So thank you.